0: What a weekend of fights it was. We had plenty of good, only a little bad, and it wasn't enough bad to take away from what was really a good night of boxing this past Saturday. I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to BoxingForFree.com's podcast. Now, I wasn't paying too much attention to the Tyson Fury versus Steve Cunningham fight before it started, and... I probably would have only mentioned it as an afterthought, as an afterthought, until I found out that I was able to get it on my basic cable package. Yeah, I was surprised that I could, but uh, once I did tune it on, once I did turn it on, I was glued. And those of you following me on Twitter probably read the tweets that I was putting out as each uh, fight and round was going by. So before we get to the main event, let's take a look at the undercard where middleweight's Curtis Stevens won a unanimous decision over Derek Finley. Uh, Stevens from the opening bell was just landing the cleaner and harder shots and couldn't miss when he was throwing uppercuts or left hooks. He probably could have just thrown those two punches alone and I still think he would have won the fight. Uh, Props to Derek Finley though for hanging in there because there were quite a few times I just I saw him taking these hard clean shots and I'm thinking how is he still standing? How can he take this this punishment? At one point I thought he uh... he was ready to go and he, that's how it looked to me, It's how it looked to uh... those at ringside but uh, to my surprise he hung in there and he even knocked Stevens down at first it It didn't look like a legitimate knockdown, it looked like uh, Stevens lost his balance or something, but replays showed that a punch did land, but it did look like uh, a combination of that and Stevens being a bit off balance, but it was still a a legitimate knockdown, and uh, credit to Finley for scoring that. Uh, After the fight, uh, as I said, Finley was taking all these clean shots and he was saying that Stevens wasn't a hard puncher and that might be it but I think it might have something to do with Finley having a bit of an iron chin in fact the only person to stop him in all his uh, 10 losses was Andre Durrell who also beat Stevens back in 2007 And after that, it was our main event for the NBC telecast, former cruiserweight champion Steve USS Cunningham uh, facing off against the taller, larger, undefeated Tyson Fury, making his U.S. debut here. Now, one thing that surprised me, Tyson Fury is one big son of a bitch. I mean, he was dwarfing Cunningham. The The difference in size between them was so massive that it probably looked like a middleweight going up against a heavyweight. Cunningham even said before the fight, they uh, they did this quick segment with him in... Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, but he said, you know, I think to win this fight, I'm going to have to bring a ladder into the ring. Now, what was even more shocking was that in the second round... Was uh, Cunningham was able to get off the ropes where Fury had him for a few moments in the opening round, and he landed this beautiful overhand right that dropped Tyson Fury right on his back. And for a second, I didn't think he was going to get up. It shocked the hell out of me, and I was leaping out off my couch in in excitement. And oh, it, it was it was just so well done. Now if you go back and watch the fight this is it, it, it was one of those things you have to see to believe but at one point Tyson Fury is on the ropes and if you watch if you watch a replay of the fight on YouTube you'll see it he reaches behind his back with both his gloves to pull up his trunks cuz they're kind of sagging in the back look I don't care if if everyone could see the crack of my pale white butt. If I'm on the ropes, I'm either going to cover up my body and my head, not my butt, or, or I'm going to be fighting off the ropes. You have to wonder what would have happened if Cunningham had noticed that, and in you know just a fraction of a second capitalized on it. If he had done that, thrown one more big overhand right like he did before, it could have ended the fight for him right then and there. But he didn't. Tyson Fury was able to survive, and in the 7th round, he caught Cunningham on the ropes and was able to knock him out with a big right hook. Now, this puts Fury in possible consideration for a title fight against Vladimir Klitschko for the heavyweight championship. Is he ready? No. He has a lot of things to work on, like not throwing such sloppy combinations, and if Cunningham could take him with an overhand right like that and put him down imagine what a, what a right hand from Vladimir would do I do have to say though it would be an entertaining matchup because of Fury's personality he does not rub a lot of people the right way in fact if you read Lou Bella's tweets he does not well Lou Debella doesn't sugarcoat anything but he really doesn't like Tyson Fury I don't know what the history is between them, but DeBella just hates that guy. And I didn't see this because I can't remember. I think I just turned it off a little bit after uh, Cunningham was knocked out. But Tyson Fury, uh, immediately after the fight, Tyson Fury grabbed the microphone and he decided to serenade the U.S. audience. That's a bit unusual since it's usually the person who gets knocked out you find, you find them singing Do Re Mi. But uh, for your listening pleasure, I give you Tyson Fury's uh, debut single. Out and supporting Tyson Fury. Thank you very much. God bless America. And thank you very much. In order, I'd like to sing a little song for you all right here in the ring. And here we go. I'm not just a boxer. Let's do it. He was sitting beside me in the passenger seat, as I walked through the windshield at a quiet little street, he was smiling so proudly as he gave me the key, but inside I knew he was as nervous as me, i sing seen that Are you sure that I'm ready to drive this car around? Settle right here beside you when you're gonna be fine. All you gotta do is keep it between the lines. Talk to people! (laughs) Thank (laughs) you, Tyson. Kenny? right, Chris. It was dreadful. No, no, really dreadful. Um, And I'm saying that to be kind because... You will never, ever, ever have a career in singing. All in all though, it was a really good card that NBC put on, and I hope they continue to do more of that. Uh, Tyson Fury showed the US audience that he has what it takes to get off the canvas and win, and Steve Cunningham, even though he lost, he really made a good show of himself, and he shouldn't feel ashamed because I think he did much better than anyone could have expected. However, after losing four of his last five fights, I wouldn't be surprised if we've seen the last of him. And with that, we are going to shift our attention to San Antonio, Texas, where Canelo Alvarez drew a sold-out crowd to the Alamo Dome, and he was also able to pull a close decision against a very game Austin Trout. Lots of people had no real complaints about this fight, and neither did I. I thought it was a very close fight, and it really could have gone either way, but even though I was rooting for Trout, I did not have a problem with Canelo Alvarez winning the fight. For a lot of people, it was the knockdown that Alvarez was able to score in round 7 that really sealed the deal. Uh, the major complaint that people had, and this was the uh, the little bit of bad that I was talking about at the st- at the start of the show, that was uh, the open scoring. And uh, forgive me for not remembering. At one point, they did it, but they announced the judges' scores, and it was shown that Judge Stanley Christodoulou had uh, Alvarez winning every round, and I think we can all agree, Alvarez wasn't winning every round, no, I mean, Trout was making a good case for himself, so, that immediately begins the discussion, that the fix was in from the beginning, and that Trout never had a chance of getting a fair shake in Texas, what's really strange about this, this was a unification bout, and the WBC and the WBA, they... I guess they each get to appoint a judge. Stanley Christodoulou was the WBA judge who was apparently approved by Austin Trout's camp. So, what happened there? Well, maybe it's not a case of corruption. Maybe it's a case of senility. I looked up Stanley Christodoulou's age, and he's 69. Stop laughing. And maybe that's the problem with judging today, we have judges who are familiar to us, but at the same time they've been doing this for quite a while, that maybe it's time for them to get their gold watch and move on to something else. Dwayne Ford, remember, is the man who scored uh, Pacquiao versus Bradley. He scored that 115-113 uh, for Bradley, and then he would later say that Pacquiao clearly won the first six rounds. Which goes against his sco- his scorecard. Ford was 74 years old at the time of Pac Bradley. So maybe to solve the problem, we should replace these older judges with some young blood. Get someone in their 30s in there. Someone who doesn't worry about catching the early bird dinner special at 4pm every Thursday. Uh, so where does Canelo go from here? Well, I don't think he's uh, ready for Floyd Mayweather Jr. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Floyd Mayweather Jr. didn't go above 147 for the rest of his career. But uh, look for Golden Boy Promotions to do their damnedest to make a fight between Alvarez and Floyd Mayweather happen should Mayweather be victorious on May 4th. And I wouldn't be surprised because you look at that crowd and just listen to them during that fight, I mean, they were loud, and, you know, I said that Alvarez, I I said that he probably should have fought on the the undercard, I'm stuttering, he should have fought on the undercard of May 4th to help build the fire, but he sort of started his own bonfire with uh, this fight last week. He was able to show that he has drawing power, and that combined with Floyd's drawing power, you know, that could lead to lots of money, and we know that Floyd loves that. But uh, if he can't get Mayweather, there are tons of junior middleweights to choose from. Uh, Anyway, aside from Chris Adoulou's score, again, going back to what I said earlier, what nobody seemed to like is the fact that there was open scoring. I don't like it. Nobody I know likes it. And I can't see how anybody can justify it and say it's a good thing. And I would love to hear the explanation from the WBC as to why they have it. It's the equivalent to movie spoilers while you're watching the movie. Here, let me give you an example. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Michael kills Fredo at the end of the movie. Rush, but. He was talking about his sled. There you go. You probably would have been bored with the movie anyway. It's kind of old. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Look, whoever the Batman is, he doesn't want to do this for the rest of his life. How could he? Harvey Dent eventually becomes a villain. Batman takes the fall for his death. And that sets up a very subpar sequel. Yeah, I hate The Dark Knight Rises, so what? And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And the powerful ally it is. Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. See, if someone did that to you while you're watching a movie, after kicking the guy's ass, you'd lose all that anticipation into seeing what happens next because you already know. So, imagine how everyone feels when the scores are revealed before the fight's even over. It can also change the way somebody fights. One guy who's fighting competitively can see the scores and say, well, you know, I'm ahead. I really don't have to fight that much anymore because I've got this one. And then an exciting fight becomes a snoozer. It removes the drama of a good fight. So, yeah open scoring sucks um, I also saw a few people on Twitter saying that something else sucks and that would be all access Mayweather versus Guerrero now uh, that got my Schweitzer sense tingling and I decided to check out last week's episode it was fine I watched it it didn't suck I watched it twice and I didn't find anything boring or really repetitive about it the only thing that got my attention, you know, like that got me, whoa, you know, a moment like that was when they show the owner of the pound for pound gym, the first thing that popped into the, into my mind was that the dude looks exactly like the Iron Sheik from WWF. I mean, yeah, he's got a really extreme mustache going on, but still, the dude could be the Iron Sheik stunt double. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a good episode. You know, nothing blew me away aside from the Iron Sheik's clone, but I wasn't bored or wishing that the segment I was watching was over. If there are those of you out there who disagree, please send me a tweet, tell me where I'm way off on this, because I love civilized, intelligent arguments and debates. Uh... Going back to the junior middleweight division for a moment, Erislandy Lara is scheduled to be facing off against Alfredo Angulo in early June at the Home Depot Center in Carson, California. That's a really exciting showdown, as we'll see how far Angulo's uh, progressed under the tutelage of Virgil Hunter, and we'll also uh, probably see a really good showdown, because Lara's going to be the best opponent that and Gulo's face since James Kirkland. Uh, speaking of Kirkland, where did he go? Every time I buy a, cart- a a carton of milk, I expect to see Kirkland's face on there with the caption, Have you seen me? underneath. It's been over a year since his last fight. He hasn't done anything since. He doesn't have anything scheduled coming up on Box Trek. Can somebody tell me what's happened to James Kirkland Uh, very quickly I want to talk about something that happened late last month and I didn't bring it up and that was Gennady Golovkin's third round knockout of the only man thus far to defeat James Kirkland uh, Nobuhiro Ishida and I didn't bring it up because it was like it, it was what I like to refer to as a who gives a crap fight yeah you know congratulations Golovkin you got the victory but at the same time So what? You beat a 37-year-old who hadn't scored a victory in almost 18 months, and that was against somebody who was making their pro debut and they haven't fought since, it just didn't matter. You beat Nobuhiro Ishida who lost every round to Paul Williams and almost every round to Dimitri Pirog. Look, obviously it was a stay-busy fight, but let's be real. If you were a boxing fan watching this and expecting it to be competitive, well, I have to question your sanity and your knowledge of the sport. And in our final bit of news for the broadcast, Milorad Zizek scored a second-round knockout of Francisco Basile a few weeks back and won the vacant WBC Mediterranean middleweight title. Uh, Zizik raised his undefeated record to nine wins with four knockouts. Now you're probably wondering Andrew why are you sharing this news about an up-and-comer winning some meaningless title? Well Zizek is a follower of mine on Twitter and I figure I should support those fighters who follow me any which way I can be they in the top 10 pound for pound or someone just getting their pro career started. So That just about wraps up this podcast. Be sure to go to BoxingForFree.com, like us on Facebook, and be like Milorad Cizik, Landy, Lara, and Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.